Testing.
Testing, Marlo, are you there? Testing, Marlo, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yep, good. We'll meet you. Testing, Sheila, are you there? Testing, Sheila, are you there? Testing, Sheila, are you there? Testing, Sheila, we can barely hear you. Can you hear me now? A little better. Okay. Gotta come in a little louder. Okay, what about now? A little better. Okay, I'm gonna try to put on my earpiece and see if that works. I didn't hear. Marlo's stop. Let me talk to her. about now can you hear me it's just a little bit better you may have to go out and come back in okay i'll do that okay Okay, Sheila, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? You're barely coming in. What about now? You're still barely coming in. Let me go to the next one. Jeff, can you hear me? Got you. 
See, Jeff's coming in loud and clear. I'm going to meet you, Jeff. Okay. So we just got to get shieldless. Testing Sheila. Can't hear you. Time testing Sheila.
nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Good evening, and welcome to Cliff Burton Friends. Another night featuring the best in women's sports and HBCU athletics. To our listeners and supporters, I want to apologize for the technical difficulties we had last night, but we're going to bring the best show to you tonight. And before we get started, I want to introduce tonight my co-host. Now, normally, Jim Waddell is here, but he's a basketball coach, and he's in the district tournaments tonight. So he's going to be joining us, hopefully, a little later. Also, Hunter Hawkins is a basketball coach, and she's also coaching and busy tonight. So she will be back with us next week. But We have great studio co-host speakers we have, of course, co-host Dr. Marlo Kemp. Say hello, Dr. Kemp. Good evening, everyone. All righty. And we also have with us a CEO. She's the CEO of For the Love LLC. And she's a dynamite tennis mother, tennis coach, tennis player. And she's our tennis analyst. We're trying to see if we can get her through the line. Let's see if we can get her. Miss Sheila Townsend. Sheila, hello. All right, we have some audio, and we'll try to get her through. If not, we'll work the chat box. We also have my brother with us tonight. He's going to work and help us co-host this show, and that is none other than Mr. Jeffrey Butts. So, Jeffrey, say hello. Hey, good evening. What's going on, Claire? All right, now. Glad to have you. Glad to have you. And we want to get started right away. We have a lot for you. Of course, this month, our Women of the Month. And boy, what a legend. We hate to see her go. None other than Pat Summit. June 14th, 1952 to June 27, 2016. That was the lifetime of this great teacher, motivator, basketball coach, and legend. Let me just give you some of her numbers on her last night in January as our Woman of the Month. She coached 38 seasons as the basketball coach of the Tennessee Balls in Knoxville, Tennessee. During that time, she had a total of 1,098 wins in Division I basketball. She also had eight national championships. She had 18 final four appearances in her time. Coach Summit, also in her victories, she never shied away in the NCAA tournament in her career. Her record, 112 and 23. She was nothing but a winner. Players coached by Coach Pat Summit, she coached 161 players in her career. Three dozen, you heard it, 36 of them, of them went on to play in the WNBA since its inception in 1997. 16 were first round picks. Coach Summit, her winning percentage in home games. You just didn't go into Knoxville and win. She won 91.3% of her home games during her coaching career. She never had a losing season in 38 seasons at Knoxville. 
They say, did she play cupcakes? Did she play the easy teams to get that record? Well, absolutely not. During her time, her record against teams in the top 25 were 440 and 168 for a 72% winning percentage against teams ranked in the top 25. Coach Summit, she, in those eight national championships, she had a series where she won three in a row. And one of those, she was 39 and 0 in 1997 and 1998 season. Her percentage and her most incredible record, her percentage graduation rate during her time at UT Knoxville in the classroom upon her retirement, she boasted a sparkling 100% graduation rate among players who completed their eligibility at the University of Tennessee. Coach Summit, we are honored to have you as our Woman of the Month. And let me state this for our listeners. We have a bonus coming. We couldn't get her on this show, but she's committed to coming on our show. Miss, Mrs. Shamika Randall Lake. Presently, she's the coach at Winthrop College. Shamika Randall Lake played for Coach Summit and started on that 39 and 0 She was a three-time all-American at UT Knoxville. She heard about our show and we're just finalizing the dates till we could get her on. And that's going to be an exciting time. So we are so happy again, Miss none other legendary Coach Pat Head Summit. Marlo, give us a few words, Coach Simmons. It's an honor to it's it's an honor to have uh, Coach Summit as the Woman of the Month for January. Um, she's like she's always special to me, you know, because of course I went to school in Tennessee, so I would definitely follow her um, while she was coaching there. Um, she has definitely put out some wonderful women um, in the wnba as well as others that have gone on with their career um so she is definitely one of the top and best coaches um uh, college coaches that we have seen in a long time so hats hats goes off to coach summit i'm sure she is looking down on us and is very proud of the ladies that she has produced all right let's see if we could get miss townsend through one more time sheila let's see are you there? I'm here. Okay, we can barely hear you, but go ahead and talk. Tell us your thoughts on Coach Pat Head Summit. Well, I am just so appreciative of this show, recognizing black coaches who have not received the accolades that they should have. So hats off to you, Doc B for taking on this platform and giving us a venue where we can showcase our talents. All righty, thank you. All right, Jeff, your thoughts, Coach Pat Summit. Well, you know, coming from the basketball community, 
Uh, we're talking about one of the greatest, if not the greatest, in my opinion, to do it at that level. Uh, that That's all you've ever heard, that name and greatness with that name. I don't think I've ever witnessed, uh, at least in, in my years, uh, a losing season. She never had one. Yeah, I, I, you know, <laughs> I, I thought I'm getting a little old, a little gray in the tooth, but no, she, she's never had a losing season. So that in itself is incredible. And thank you, Jeff. Um, so, Pat Summit. Now, let's move on. We also have coming up in February, Black History Month, a legend to represent us. Her name, Flo Hyman. Let's Google her. Flo Hyman, a legendary volleyball player in the 70s, six feet five from the University of Houston. She also led us to silver medals in the Olympics. She died way too young at age 31. She was considered to be the greatest volleyball player in the world. She played professionally in Japan, but her name was Flo Hyman. We're going to talk some more about her in February. Now, we have a lot of exciting things coming up. Next week, part two, Dr. Harriet Kimbrough Hamilton. She spoke on December 10th. She was one of the 50 pioneers for Title IX in the book, Pat Summit and the Tennessee Trailblazers, 50 women, 50 stories that led the development of Title IX in its early years. She's coming back next week, 8.39. She's going to give us part two, and it's talking about how Title IX has not yet fully worked for minority women like it should. It's going to be great. And so make sure to invite others and come on back next week. Dr. Harriet Kimbrough Hamilton. Now, we have some more for you. In the month of February, we have just gotten a commitment on February 27th from another dynamic coach. Her name is Brittany Anderson. She is the assistant coach at Stanford presently. She coaches with Tara Vanderer, another Hall of Fame coach whose team just won the national championship two years ago. Coach Anderson is going to give us some insights into coaching at the highest level. Presently, her record as the guards coach, she's only been there two years. Her record is something like 96 and five. And this year's projected second round pick, Haley Jones, a guard, is coached by her every day in practice. So, Next week, Dr. Harry Kimbrough Hamilton, February 27th, Coach Brittany Anderson. And we're going to keep on going from there. Now, let's get into a few scores, and then we have a big discussion to go tonight. A big one. Very important. So let's talk about the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference. And again, the tournament for the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference begins February 23rd to 26th. Jackson, Mississippi, on the campus of Tugaloo College. In the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference, in the women's division, Russ College is leading 7-0 in conference play. Philander Smith, second, tied with Fisk at 5-2. Wally College, 3-4. Dillard, 3-4. Tugaloo, 3-4. Oakwood, 2-5. And, and Southern University at New Orleans is bringing up the rear, eighth place, at 0 and seven 
in the men's division. Tuckaloo College, 7-0 conference play, and they're 19-1 overall, so they haven't lost much. Philander Smith, second place, 5-2 in conference play, coached by former NBA player Todd Day. Wiley College, 5-2. Dilly University, 4-3. Rust, 4-3. Fisk, 3-4, coached by former NBA great Kenny Anderson. Oakwood, 0-7, and Southern University at New Orleans is picking up the rear at 0-7. So there you have it. Gulf Coast Athletic Conference. We want to make sure that you go support them down in Mississippi. Now, let's move on to the SIAC, Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, the women's division. And we'll just talk women tonight. Clark, Atlanta in the Eastern Division, 11-4. Savannah State, who recently beat Benedict, a 10-5. Benedict right behind them, 7-8. That game has significance. Last year in the championship, Savannah State, 14-1, winning the tournament, the number one seed. And Benedict defeated them by two. So Savannah State got some revenge this past weekend and defeated them, defeated them by 15. Allen, 7-8. Edward Waters, 5-10. Albany State, 5-10. And, and Fort Valley State, 4-10. And and that's the seven teams in the Eastern Division. In the Western Division, the Tuskegee, 14-0 in conference play. The women are doing well. Miles, 10-5. Kentucky State, 9-5. Lane, 8-5, Central State, 7-7, the Moen Owen, 2-8, and, and Spring Hill is picking up the rear in the Western Division. The Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference will be held February 25th through March 4th at the Tiger Arena on the campus of Savannah State. So we're looking forward. Let's get out and let's support our HBCUs. Okay. One more before we go to the break. In Division I, women's basketball. Well, actually, two more. Number one, <clears throat> 21-0, South Carolina under Dawn Staley. By the way, Dawn Staley has received the highest contract for a woman in athletic coaching in Division I, $22 million over seven years, and she deserves every penny of it. Second place, Stanford, 21-2. LSU. The surprise this year, 21-0. and 0. But they have Miss Angel Reese, the transfer from Maryland, and she is on a tear. She has 21 straight games where she's recorded a double-double. She's right behind Aaliyah Boston. And number four, surprise, Indiana, 20-1. UConn, in spite of not having All-American Paige Becker, is in fifth place at 20-2. Iowa, 17-4. Utah, 18 and 2, Maryland 18 and 4, Notre Dame 17 and 3, and Ohio State 19 and 3. As you can see, everybody in the top 10 has at least 17 wins and the highest four losses. So this year's tournament, Division One, is going to be quite a treat. We're going to take a second. We're going to go to our break, and then we'll be right back.
righty. Now, we want to get to a subject tonight. Athletics is great, but this is real life. It's on everybody's mind. We want you to type your statements or questions in the chat. And uh, we're going to open up the mics. Marlo, Jeff, uh, Sheila, you can barely come in. So I'm going to ask you if you type your questions or statements in the chat and we'll read them. This past weekend, in the midst or middle of a season between Kwanzaa, Dr. King's birthday, and heading into Black History Month, we witnessed a video in this nation in the city where Dr. King was assassinated that we never thought we'd see. Never said it never happened, but that we thought we'd see. And we want to hear your thoughts on how to solve this problem and moving forward. And uh, I'm going to start uh, with Jeff, who has been in securities in his lifetime, and he has some great insights. So, Jeff, let's lead us off talking about the situation with Mr. Tyree Nichols. And please type your questions and statements in the chat, everybody. Well, first of all, uh, good evening, folks. Um, this thing hit me just like many other people. It hit me to my core. Uh, being a father, I'm a father of two. I have a son that's 22 years old, uh, travels to and fro, job, school, just like uh, any other young man. And it has an effect on you as a father. Uh, you know, you care. You, you, all you want to do is care and protect your young. But you feel helpless when they go out in the street. Uh, mostly what they go with is a prayer. Let's just be real about that. They go with a prayer and advice that they've been given along the way. But you never know what's going to happen once they're out of your presence. So uh, I feel for the parents of that young man. Uh, that just didn't make it home. He made it, supposedly the report was he was 90 yards from his home. So he made it 90 yards. And then his life was snuffed out. Uh, just a little bit of my background. I've been in uh, security, I'm retired now. Uh, I've been in security for 30 years uh, in the private sector as a uniform uh, uh, security manager, operations manager. As I was talking to Cliff the other night, much of my work, uh, I had experience with police officers and correction officers. I've managed police officers, correction officers. So I have a little bit of knowledge of what they go through day to day. The first thing you need to understand, and everybody understands this, policing is a difficult business. It is a difficult business. And that's not something that you can take lightly as a police officer. Uh, Many police officers don't go back home at the end of the night. Let's just keep, that's a fact. If you want to research the numbers of police officers that we lose every year throughout the states, you can do that, but it's a dangerous, dangerous job. Uh, what they have to quote unquote fight crime with, they have a lot of measures in place, but they also have restrictions one of those restrictions is the rights of private citizens. And they are supposed to adhere to those rights. Every citizen has constitutional rights. 
And the police officers are supposed to play by the rules. That's a difficult thing to do. Unfortunately, what we witnessed on videotape was not done by the rules. Uh, what they're talking about mostly is the start or the stop. Was it a legal stop or was it a, you know, there was nothing they could say legal about it. So, so far what we've seen on videotape, it showed no cause to stop this young man. And then it escalated from one to a hundred real quick. That's what we saw on videotape. That was the first part of the tape. And then the second part of the tape, if not for a overhead camera mm -hmm. that viewed everything. And that was, listen, that's gruesome. I think Cliff mentioned something about something we thought we'd never see. Well, I've seen it before. And folk, don't get it twisted. Many of our young men have seen it before and have experienced it. We just haven't seen it on camera. Mm -hmm. That's a fact. And so we have to deal with those matters. Uh, it's a shame what happened to this young man. We don't know. We're hearing bits and pieces of the case as it comes out. And every day we're going to hear something new. You know, yesterday they talked about there's another man, a white officer who's now involved and they've relieved him from his duties. I don't believe he was terminated yet, but I think he was just removed from his duties. Uh, I believe there were two fire firemen or firemen that were three, three, three. Or three, or three. Okay, I think it was a lieutenant as well. So that were removed from these people rendered no aid when they came on, <laughs> when they came onto the scene, which is just amazing to me. Uh, that's the first thing you think about when you jump out the truck. You arrive, you you grab your gear, and you render aid. That's what you do. It's that simple. So whatever cause them to not render aid. I'm sure that'll come out later on. But it's a rough business. That's the first thing I want everybody to understand. Policing is no joke. Mm -hmm. uh, Jeff, I, I had a question. Sure. But first, I want to ask Marlo to, 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 to chime in. She has a brother, uh, many cousins, male. Give us your thoughts, Dr. Kim. Um, like Jeff said, I was um, really hurt when I saw part of the video. I didn't even I didn't go back to um, watch the actual videos. The only um, excerpts I've seen is what they actually showed on the news. Um, and all I can say for one is thank God for technology and the cameras um, because we would not have known half of the story if the young man did not go to get to the second location where we can see a lot of what happened to him. And I really, really feel sorry. And I just pray for his family. I actually pray for the officers families, you know, as well, because their children and their families, have to live with this for the rest of their lives and their names are going to be tarnished if they don't change their names. Um, I remember growing up when um, things were, would, would happen or my, my brother would actually um, have uh, events mm -hmm. or things that would happen to him. Nothing serious, 
for just um, things as a male that I didn't understand being a female. But I just remember my mom would always say, um, you don't understand because you're not a male. You don't have to go through you know, the things that the boys have to go through. And I never really understood that being younger until um, I grew up and I'm, I'm, you know, and I was grown and I really, you know, had a chance to sit back. And now as an, an adult, I truly understand what it is um, that she was saying and how parents overall um, worry about their children when they walk out the door and you just pray for them like jeff said um that nothing happens to to them when they are out of your sight um it's a very difficult situation and um I, yeah i'm just praying every day you know that there's a change there's a change and it has to be a change all right th thanks so much a uh, uh, team or audience we are honored tonight to have another great friend and colleague with us tonight. And uh, that's Dr. Sarah Nassatcher. Uh, uh, I guess, Sarah, and I won't tell them how long we've known each other, but quite a while. But she also has quite a few brothers. And and, and Sarah, uh, I unmuted you. Uh, see what happens. Dr. Satcher, let's hear your thoughts. Yeah, like, you're, like the last speaker, I haven't watched the the whole video, um, it's, it's just, I cannot tolerate all that visual trauma. Um, and I have uh, three younger brothers and one of my brothers was in Boston. Um, and I think I was in Boston at the time when that, uh, it was like a white guy who had killed his wife, but they had told a lie. And so they went across the city uh, stopping and frisking like all black males that were in the age range of the story that he told. And so one of my, you know, my brother that was in Boston uh, was in a group of guys that got stopped and frisked for that. Um, I have a brother that lives in New York um, and he was in New York during the time when they uh, did the same thing, looking for, you know, the so-called rapist um in the park in new york so you know and when these things happen um our brothers are at high risk just you know from random violence from law enforcement um you know with these policies that protect them you know from being prosecuted or from being caught in the past i mean things are changing but it's not changing rapidly enough, in my opinion. Um, and I remember also, because the same brother that lived in uh, Boston was living in Houston at the time when they, this is like maybe five or six years ago, they shot a young man uh, who was a teenager in his front yard in Bel Air. And Bel Air is like an upper class uh suburb of houston um and he basically you know he wasn't doing anything he was like on his block and um the police just chased down through his you know being black that's basically it 
But and I don't know if you all also saw like recently the young um, eleven-year-old black yeah. female mm -hmm. being harassed by a Karen in her neighborhood, and she she was watering like um, the plants of her neighbors who asked her to water the plants, mm -hmm. and uh, this white woman just started harassing her, and her father came and tried to defend her, and the white woman was like asking for his you know where's your identification and your date of birth like he had done something wrong you know it's just people are it's just the whole society is just kind of in my opinion turned topsy-turvy especially since you know the january 6th thing where people feel empowered to just harass uh black people and people of color Dr. Satcher, I'm going to ask you to hold it there. I'm going to see if I can. Um, okay, she went off the line. I'm going to take a one minute commercial break and then we're coming right back. I have a question for the panel and those if they want to type it in the chat. But before we go, anybody who's looking for residential, commercial, land, builder, developer, or investor services, Pamela Renee. P. Renee Estates and Associates. She's a qualified CEO of Broken, Georgia, 2870 Peachtree Street Road, Suite One of our chat room attendants said, people have lost respect for each other. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. Uh, every time this comes up and a young man is beaten, shot, young black male, the first thing they say is, we need to do more police training. I always hear this. And I was in a discussion with someone and I want to ask our panel, and those who want to write in the chat. My counter to that was, I believe they have enough training. Now, y'all bear me out. Aurora, Colorado, a young man, white, is in a movie theater with an assault rifle, gets a call, the police station, that there are people being shot and down, and yet they have enough training to know how to go out and apprehend this white suspect who's killed people alive. They get a call in South Carolina that a young white man goes in a prayer meeting service in a black church and guns down people. It calls, uh, the call comes across 
and they send out the forces. They go into a scene with somebody gunning down, and yet they have enough restraint and training to bring that white suspect out alive. You go down to Texas with a former presidential candidate from the San Antonio or somewhere by the border, and a young man goes in a Walmart or something and is murdering people. The dispatcher sends out a call. The people go in there with people laying on the ground, the policemen, and yet they have enough training and de-escalation and patience that they can bring this white suspect out alive. And yet, a black and white policeman, when they see an African-American unarmed, all of a sudden, the problem is they don't have enough training. Jeff, coming back to you. Tell me what you think. Well, well you're, you're, you're right and you're wrong, Cliff. All right. Okay, the first part is the training that you're talking about is tactics. Okay, tactics and how to de-escalate a situation, how to approach an armed an armed uh, person, an unarmed person. Uh, those are tactics in that in that regard. But I think the training that they need to increase is along the mental lines, uh, diversity lines of how to deal with uh, certain nationalities and backgrounds. Though that type of training needs to be increased. Uh, we are, listen, I'm a religious guy, you know that, and we are living in the last days where the concern of man is, is less and less each year. Ten years ago, it wasn't this bad. I think uh, when 45 got in office, uh, the curtains were kind of pulled back and you started to see more and more stuff that's just ridiculous. And so in terms of training, the tactical training works. It's proven that it works. When they arrive with a with a black suspect, they treat that suspect one particular way. But then they arrive with a Caucasian suspect and they treat that suspect a completely different way. The tactics work. But again, it's now, do I approach each individual the same way? No, I don't. And that's the problem that's it's institutionalized yeah. in the system. I have a statement in the chat. It says, you can't change the intent of police when it is an institution formed to chase and capture and kill slaves. You can't train out disrespect for humanity and racism. What's your thoughts on that? Well, let, let me just say this. Uh, as we came up as kids, there was a level of discipline that had to be applied. You know that. They used to call that a belt in our family. Now, if police are walking around like they cannot be touched, if the government is not passing a law that will hold them accountable to what they do, they're gonna do whatever they wanna do and have no concern about the repercussions. No concern. Uh, I think they're still trying to pass that George Floyd Act. Yeah. Am I am I wrong? Am I mistaken? I don't even think they're trying to pass it, but it's still up there. Reverend Al's still pushing it. Yeah, and, they're talking about it. I know yes. Corey, Corey Booker was trying to push it, and I, we didn't hear anything else, and it's died off. And now, of course, with another big incident, they want to jump back on it again. But if they cannot be held accountable for their wrongdoings, what is there to, what is there to fear? 
Go ahead. Okay. Let me see. I'm going to try one more time. She's dying to get here and say something. Let me see. Sheila, can you get through? Miss Townsend? She's been struggling. We've been struggling all night. I'm here. All right. You may have to type in the chat because something with your mic won't let you come through where we can really hear you. I'm sorry about that. Okay. Dr. Kemp, but we will bring you back next week's show and we're going to get it all in. But stay with us, Sheila, and type in the chat. Dr. Kemp, your thoughts. Um, on, I'm sorry, can you repeat that question, Dr. Burr? Well, just on the institutional part of racism and the, and the lack of uh, accountability at the government level, Jeff was talking about the, NACA, the George Floyd Act hadn't been passed, so the police can, are not being held accountable. And, and what can we, I guess, as citizens do to push this forward? Because it seems oh, yeah. to just come up every time someone gets killed. Yes, um, and I think as uh, Jeff mentioned, when the former president uh, was actually in office, he just gave authorization for uh, the police institutions to just kind of feel free to do whatever you want to do. Um, and we just have to just constantly stay on our uh, representatives to just make sure that they get that bill, the uh, George Floyd Floyd bill passed um, mm -hmm. and because it is definitely important and it has to be done. Mm -hmm. You just have to continue to just flood the mailboxes. We march for everything else and we, we have to march again and, and do what we need to do. Um, then that's what we will have to do as a people and just get other people involved, other races involved too, because um, all of uh, what, the, what our past um, leaders have marched for, which is the Civil Rights Act. Um, everyone else is also benefiting, you know, from what our people have died from. Absolutely. So it's just, a, I think if we get more people involved as well, um, and when it start affecting other uh, race and ethnic groups, um, and, you know, eventually it'll get passed, but it has to be done. Okay. We have a, a statement from Sheila in the chat. It says, just please talk about a little bit what's happening in Florida with excluding AP African-American studies and how does that tie into this or just in general affect this overall picture? Dr. Satcher, I'm gonna come to you for that. Let's see. I'm unmuted, right? You can hear me? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I heard about that. I've been hearing about it and I'm in Georgia and we're one of the states that's offending that also. So, um, you know, there are white people speaking out um, and I think they under, a lot of people understand the consequences of what's being done and that it's really just a sham uh, type of thing that's being done to try to attract votes and try to gaslight and, and get people riled up. But uh, the, the majority people, the, the white people are gonna suffer from that. Because when you think about like in Florida, they're trying to do that for all of the institutions in Florida. So like if your kid was in Florida and was trying to go to college and 
you know, took the AP because I heard them interviewing uh, like somebody uh, that was in the educational system there. And so if your kid went and took that course and then they went to college and if they were interested in taking further, uh, you know, classes in college, they would be ill prepared. Because they would not have learned what they needed to learn. Um, and it's basically like they're just trying to edit. They're trying to edit, edit us out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and they have no, they also, what they talk about is that they have no guidelines. They have no guidelines. They have nothing written down. You know, they're just saying, like, if certain things come up, they'll say, no, you can't, you can't talk about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really uh, off the chain. I got a question. I got a question, Cliff. Yeah, sure. Set you down. Do you think they'll be able to pass that law? Uh, yeah, in, in, in these states in the South? Yeah. Because the problem is uh, the legislatures, like in Georgia, the legislature, I don't, I don't think it'll pass in Georgia, but I can't say that it couldn't pass because there are enough legislature people that are outside of Atlanta that are, what you have outside of Atlanta is the rest of the state. It's kind of like Illinois, like Chicago and Illinois. You have the people outside of the metro area that have lower educational levels and have been bred on and fueled with this uh, anger, racism, uh, because, you know, creating these stories um, amongst themselves that immigrants and black people are taking their jobs away uh, mm-hmm. while they don't have education that's comparable. And they don't have educational, you know, education to get the tech jobs. So they're working in factories. Uh, a lot of the factory jobs have been sent overseas. So that's how they come up with the logic that foreigners or immigrants are taking their jobs away. So, I have something in the chat room. It says from, from Sheila, it is now excluded books. What can you discuss regarding African-American history and even what I say and building history month, a black history month starting tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are, they're excluding books um, in Florida. They're excluding books that talk about, that have any mention of homosexuality. Uh-huh. Um, what else did they say? Like, Like, if they feel like white people are being put in a negative light in the, the historical fact, they're eliminating it. Also in Virginia, in Virginia right now, the governor is trying to exclude um, Dr. King. Anything on Dr. King in, yeah, I, heard uh, I believe that's K through 12. Yep, I heard that too. Well, I know when I was in Virginia, those who don't know, I did my residency there back in 1998 eight i started and when i got there they were calling the holiday king lee in honor of what general lee one of the confederate generals that's the way they describe the holiday signs on banks and everywhere i couldn't believe what i saw and so uh 
this thing is not over. And, um, you know, uh, Sheila says in the chat room, I cannot even encourage students to watch the 1619 Project. Mm -hmm. Anybody? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, clearly, um, we need this discussion. We need more of it. Let me say to our audience that uh, Sheila, CEO for the Love LLC Tennis, she's also the tennis mom, tennis teacher. Uh, she's the mom of a professional tennis player. Uh, we're going to get her on next week's show. We're going to have the audio. I want to stay on the night, though, in the chat. And I want to congratulate her because her daughter, Taylor Townsend, mm. just made it to the quarterfinals at the Australia Open in mixed doubles. So let's give the big clap for Sheila and Taylor Townsend. Yes, yes. All right. We're just going to take a one-minute break. We'll come back. We'll wrap up. We're going to talk a little more sports now about the Super Bowl. Hey, our first Super Bowl, two African-American quarterbacks. We'll be back. <laughs> Past weekend, our two Super Bowl teams were decided. The Kansas City Chiefs are going up against the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, HBCU, you have on the Kansas City Chiefs two HBCU grads, and those two young men, one name was Williams, selected in first player last year, selected from HBCU from Division II, Fayetteville State University. And he made a key interception against Cincinnati. He is on his way to the Super Bowl. And the other young man who he tipped it to, I can't remember his name, he played at Howard University for two years and then trans transferred to the University of Cincinnati. And those two young men made a key play when Burroughs was driving with the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday. So, hey, let's give it up. They are going to the Super Bowl. Now, <clears throat> let's go way back. We've been at this for a long time. James Harris, Warren Moon, Joey Gillum. These guys broke through when the guys didn't even want to block for them. They talked about the Steelers. Joey Gillum was better than Terry Bradshaw. But when Joey got in the pocket out of Tennessee State, the linemen wouldn't, didn't want to block for him. Mm. Well, we now have Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes, two black quarterbacks, first time in history 
in the Super Bowl. Jeff, no. Marlo, tell us what you think. Because you went to Tennessee State. <laughs> Exciting. I cannot wait. I, I'm just trying to decide who I want to root for. I have family in Kansas City. And um, I've always liked the Eagles. So um, I, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what the brothers will do and which one will lead their team to victory. Um, but it's a win-win um, all the way around. So I'm, I'm, I'm last, happy for Yeah. I think the last quarterback, if I'm not mistaken, was it Doug Williams? Oh, somebody said it's him, black quarterback, to win the Super Bowl. Doug Williams. It was Doug Williams when they beat John Elway. Now, I want to say something about that young man, Jalen Hurts. If there's a lesson in perseverance, people don't remember, but Jalen Hurts went to uh, Alabama just four years ago. He led Alabama his first two years. They were, he only lost two games. And then Alabama recruited Tua, I can't can't remember his last name, the quarterback from Miami who got concussions this year. Well, he came as a freshman. He actually had a better arm. So they benched Jalen Hurts the next year. He never complained. He was encouraging. Now, at the end of his junior year, he did transfer to Oklahoma and went there and had an excellent senior season and got drafted to the NFL. So he stuck with it. Well, he's made it to the Super Bowl before Tua. Now, it wasn't Tua's fault, but he is just a classy young man and a lesson in perseverance and sticking with it. And everybody said he didn't have an NFL arm. Well, he definitely has an NFL ticket to the Super Bowl, that's for sure. So I'm really happy. And there's some lessons to be learned from Mr. Jalen Hurts. Let's give him a hand. Okay, coming up, there's some other HBCU players, and they're going to have something called the Legacy Bowl. It'll be played in Tulane this month, uh, in February, excuse me, the third Saturday, 3 p.m. at Tulane Stadium. The Legacy Bowl is a bowl, I think it's second year, and it is created for HBCU football players, seniors, to get a chance to showcase their skills. And um, last year, only four players went to the NFL, were drafted uh, from an HBCU. We look for that number to go up this year. These are the players that are projected, and they'll be in this bowl, but projected to go first. Mark Evans, the big tackle at Arkansas Pine Bluff. They say he's a short hit, and he should go or be the first HBCU player taken off the board, probably in the second round. Tight end, Kamari Averett from Bethune-Cookman. All righty, 6'6", 260 pounds. He's got the size already to play in the NFL. Third, wide receiver, Shaquan Davis out of South Carolina State. They say he has great hands, 6'5", 215 pounds, and he's a vertical threat, has the speed to go straight up the field. Another wide receiver out of Hampton, the Pirates, wide receiver, Jadakis Bonds, 6'4", and he became the Pirates' 
go-to target in the red zone in situations many times this year. And rounding out our top five is linebacker Isaiah Land from Florida A&M. He was a 2021 Buck Buchanan Award. He had <clears throat> seven sacks, 34 total pressures, and he finished first team all swag honors. So those are the first five that we're going to look for. There are many more, but we think that we're going to get six or seven HBCU players this year, at least, not just drafted, but to stick in the NFL. So, hey, let's keep encouraging our players. Let's keep going out and supporting our HBCU colleges. All right. This is the story that's been on everybody's mind, and I want to hear people to chime in. Bethune-Cookman, a few weeks ago in December, hired an NFL legend, Mr. Ed Reed, Coach Ed Reed. And um, after he was hired, he complained about the facilities, uh, comparing, I guess, to white, white schools. And he went on social media actually saying bad things about the administration as well. Mm-hmm. Well, Hall of Famer Reggie Theus is the uh, athletic director and men's basketball coach. And finally, Coach Theus said these statements. I was absolutely shocked at the behavior and really appalled. It's sad because it's so much bigger than Ed Reed. He also stated that because of his actions, that Coach Ed Reed has no shot of returning to the program as a coach, despite demands from a lot of BCU players and Reed himself. Reed still wants to come there. Reggie Thewis said, the administration says, no way. They never expected that behavior or level from Coach Reed. And so he will not be coaching at Bethune-Cookman. Marlo, give me your thoughts. Um, I was actually... When I first um, saw the story, I was under the impression that Coach Reed um, was already the coach. So I just thought maybe, you know, he was just venting about the facilities until I um, read the actual story. And I think he just, he really forgot um, uh, the big picture of why he was there. And it's a way that you handle um, situations. If you have an issue, um, you know, with with the facilities and with the program, um, I think he could have done that in a much better way where he would probably be the coach now. Um, but I think he just did it in such a disrespectful way to Bethune Cookman, to to the president, the board, the players, um, and he just kind of uh, wrote himself out of a job. Mm. Dr. Dr. Satcher, we're coming to you, Jeff. Dr. Satcher, uh, you have parents who have been in administration at, at academic HBCU schools. So give us your insights of that situation, how it was handled. Well, my insights. I mean, I don't know if it has to do with my parents um, okay. working at HBCUs, but I did grow up at HBCUs campuses like my entire life. Um, and 
to me, it's like, that's not adult behavior. Like, don't you go and if you're a coach, don't you go and look at the facilities or check out what you're getting into? Um, and the adult behavior would be to try to, you know, negotiate things like that before you go. And then, you know, so you're not, cause what he did just kind of dragged, dragged the school really. Yeah. 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 Well, it's real simple for me. Uh, Think before you speak. Uh, Most of many of our young people that attend those institutions, they need to be taught that, you you know, you go into a certain way with a certain decor, uh, you handle yourself, you know, in a respectful manner, you address the message, but don't go from zero to 100 as a messenger. Okay, if you step forward, you can speak your piece, but you don't have to be rude, be disrespectful. And most often the results are, are much different than what turned out for him. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Marlo, we'll let you get the last word. I, I just had a quick question too. Uh, well, Coach Reed, he said that he had turned down the job at Jackson State yeah. to take the job at Bethune-Cookman. Um, I guess my question is how many people truly believe that to be the case? Oh, I don't know. I I believe Jackson State, as much as they love Deion Sanders, they're, I don't even know if they offered it to him because I think Jackson State is saying they don't want to go through that again. The success, yeah. But then does he come for two years, two or three years, win and leave? And I think Jackson State is happy with the coach, TC. I think he's homegrown and played there. So I don't even know how true that is, or was he just using that as leverage with Bethune-Cookman? I don't know. Dion referred TC. Yeah. So that was going to happen. Yep, yep, yep. So, yeah, I'm not sure how how true that is. Mm -hmm. Listen, uh, time seems to fly on our show. I want to thank Jeff for coming in, stepping in tonight. Dr. Satcher for stepping in tonight. We haven't missed a lick. We're going to get the full dose of CEO Sheila Townsend. She's going to still analyze the Australian Open and also tell us about our company. We're going to get it through on the line next week. We have Dr. Harriet Kimbrough Hamilton coming to talk about how um, Title IX has not completely worked for women in sports or in society like it was intended to, or like it's built up to be. All next week, Cliff Burton, friends. So before we go, as usual, on behalf of our co-hosts normally, Jim, Hunter, Marlo, and our sister company, Mark, Jones, and friends, they're 9.10 a.m. WFDF from 9 to 11, iHeartRadio, every Wednesday night. We want you to, to visit them if you want some more sports talk, NBA, NFL, you, you name it. And on behalf of all of our listeners and on behalf of all of our guests, we will see you in exactly 168 hours from now. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you. We'll see you in a week. Next next Monday night. Thank you.